Hello, and welcome to the PCF Bible Talk podcast. My name is Anna, and I'm here with my coworkers. Hello, I'm Skye. And I'm Renea. And we're so excited that you're joining us today for Lesson 8 of our Bible study on the drama of redemption. So today we have a lot to cover, but I'm really excited. We're going to tell the story of the Exodus, how God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt, so He helped them exit Exodus out of Egypt. This is the key salvation story of the Old Testament, and that's why we're going to spend a lot of time on it. But also this narrative reveals a paradigm of how God works salvation for His people more generally. So in the second half of the episode, we will see how God follows the same paradigm when He provides His salvation through Jesus Christ. And we'll see how that salvation is even more complete than the deliverance from Egypt, because it doesn't just physically deliver people from slavery in Egypt, but it delivers us all from sin and death. And so that's a really exciting message that we're going to cover today. To begin, though, I want to give you a glimpse into what I'm calling this salvation paradigm and what are the features that we're going to draw out of both stories. So let me talk through those elements. First of all, it begins with a situation, a situation where God's people are trapped and are not able to save, them, save themselves. And then God takes action because he remembers the promises that he made to his people, promises that he made out of his own mercy and love. So God initiates. Then God prepares an individual to bring his deliverance to people. And then God performs signs and wonders to confirm that he is God and that he is the one who is delivering his people through this individual. God also then defeats the spiritual powers that are keeping his people in their trap situation. Then a sacrifice is made that protects God's people from God's judgment against evil so that they don't suffer the same judgment that evil does. And then God's people are completely delivered from their bondage, from their trap state. Then we see two reactions. We see that this act of deliverance stands as a linchpin event that God's people can always look back to, to remember his faithfulness and love. And after all this has been accomplished, then God's people are invited to act in ways that are pleasing and glorifying to God. So those are the elements of this salvation paradigm. And we're going to walk through them both for the Exodus story and Jesus Christ. So the format of this podcast is going to be a little bit different than the other ones that we've done. And Brenea and Sky and I are just going to trade off and we're going to talk through each of these points and explain how it connects to the story that we're discussing. So let's dive in and get started. We're going to start with the Exodus and Sky is going to explain the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So jumping in with the situation of the Exodus, um, and this is just, this point is that God's people are trapped in a situation where they are unable to save themselves. And if you remember, we spoke about this last week um, when we were introduced to Moses and uh, Israel being in slavery to Egypt. Um, and basically just remembering that the people of Israel were enslaved and they did not have any human means to be able to release themselves from this situation, from that slavery. So yeah, that's just the situation we're starting in with the Exodus. The people are enslaved. 
And then to pick up from there, we then see, right, they're enslaved, but it's God who has the initiative. God takes action. So God remembers the promises that he's made to his people. Um, And we looked at those promises and we looked at Abraham um, and promises that he makes out of his own mercy and own love, right? Not because of anything that they've done. And he initiates action to rescue his people. Um, and this is just a remembering from Exodus 2, verses 23 through 25. So during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God hearing their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Um, so again, we just see God um, remembering what he's promised his people and then him going ahead and taking the initiative, taking action um, in light of their miserable situation. And again, last time we discussed how after that verse where God knew, he comes back to Moses who had fled from Egypt and he prepares Moses as an individual to bring deliverance to his people. Moses was uniquely situated to bring this deliverance because he had been raised in the Egyptian palace under the Pharaoh, but he was also a Hebrew. And so he and he was in a great position to be a mediator between the Pharaoh and the people of Israel. But he didn't want to take that role at first, as we talked about. And so God worked with him and got him to the point where he accepted the call that God put on his life and he was willing to go back to Egypt. Yeah, and then following from there, um, this is where we see God perform signs and wonders to confirm that he is God and that he is the one who is delivering his people. So we see this, as Anna said, uh, Moses and God have a conversation and Moses then goes back to Egypt. Um, And when Moses goes back to Egypt, we see that everything happens as God said it would. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He asks for him to release the people of Israel from slavery. Pharaoh refuses. Um, And Moses then begins to perform these signs and wonders uh, that God had told him he would be able to perform, that God was saying, I will be there with you. Um, So he performs these signs and wonders to show Pharaoh, um, to show Pharaoh, but also the people of Israel and the people of Egypt. So he's showing all of the people involved here that the Lord is the true God, that he is the one who has power, that he is the one who is in control. And it is God who is telling Pharaoh to free the people of Israel. And at one point, Moses points out, this is from Exodus 7, 17, reads, Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. And that's just one example of one of the signs and wonders that is performed here. And talking about um, those signs and wonders, Sky, gives a great space for us to start thinking about. And so then what is God doing with that? Through those signs and wonders, he is um, defeating the spiritual powers. And um, when we think about um, what happens in Exodus, which uh, we see the 10 plagues, um, we sometimes might think about these things as being maybe like just kind of natural disasters or random. Um, we see water changed into blood. We see um, frogs swarming. We see gnats all over Egypt. We see all of these plagues. There's 10 of them. Um, and while the last one 
Anna's going to talk a little bit more about, what I do really want to point out here is that we see God um, not just performing these kind of like random um, signs and wonders, but he's actually defeating spiritual powers here because each of these plagues are connected um, with an Egyptian deity. Um, and so uh, the, the plagues are actually very intentional and showing that God is greater than these Egyptian deities um, and anything they could ever uh, possibly do or show. So um, those signs and wonders are really to show God's power and that he is greater and that he can and does defeat the spiritual powers, um, not just this like saving his people physically, but it's also this spiritual salvation. Okay, so we have God defeating the spiritual powers and the Egyptian gods. And this is all part of the drama. We're skipping chapters and chapters of scripture here. And I encourage you to take some time to read that on your own. But it culminates. Pharaoh keeps on saying, I will not let the people go. And Moses people keeps on saying, God says, you have to let my people go. And they go back and forth and back and forth until they get to the final plague, where God says, if you don't let my people go, the angel of death will come and will kill the firstborn of every household. The trouble is that this judgment could happen to the Israelites as well. But Moses gives them a sign and he says, take a lamb, sacrifice it, and then take the blood and smear it on the doorposts in front of your house. And God says that if the angel of death sees that blood on your doorposts as a sign of your trust in God, the angel of death will pass over your house and the firstborn in your house will not die. And this was a very significant um, sign that God instituted. So I'll just read you the actual text from Exodus 12, verses 13 and 14, where he says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So God, through Moses, establishes the Passover as a feast and as a remembrance of how God's judgment didn't fall on Israel, even though this final plague of the death of the firstborn did fall on the Egyptians. So now we see, we're going to see how God's people are completely delivered from their bondage. And I was talking about kind of this 10th plague kind of following the 10th plague, uh, Pharaoh finally relents. He lets the people go. Um, so the people of Israel, they leave. They gather up um, what they have um, and they leave. And as they're leaving, um, they've, they've left. And Pharaoh actually uh, regrets his decision, changes his mind and goes to chase after them. Um, and this is on the Red Sea. You've probably heard this story before, um, but I'm just going to read from Exodus 14. This is kind of the climax or the conclusion of this chase. Um, this is after God has blown a wind and created dry ground in the Red Sea for Israel to walk through. And this is the conclusion of that. It reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. 
the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So there we really just see how God completely saves his people, completely saves them in a miraculous way, and brings this um, final deliverance from their bondage and slavery in Egypt. Yeah. I really appreciate that you read that entire passage, Sky, because like this is a big deal, right? Like we've gone through it super quickly. And I think like Anna said, if you just go through and read these chapters on your own, um, because God has fully accomplished his victory um, and has delivered his people by his own initiative from their terrible situation um, and also defeated the spiritual powers and physically brings them out of captivity. All right. So this is like a, a huge, huge thing. Um, and this event um, becomes like a, a central event um, that God's people can always look back to. So after this victory, um, two things we see happening again and again throughout scripture. The first is that God's people remember this victory. And then the second is that God's people live in light of this victory. So one example of this is in uh, the Psalms. In Psalm 77, um, there's an example of this. They are um, in, in a hard spot waiting for the Lord, um, trying to figure out like, okay, God, where are you? Um, and the psalmist writes this, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So the psalmist was in this time of discouragement and he's thinking to himself like, hey, where's God? What's going on, right? Like we all do when we're kind of despairing and we're in hard situations. And then what does he do? He stops and he remembers like, oh, God's way was through the sea. So again, this, this complete victory um, becomes just this central event, this linchpin event where God's people are able to look back and to live in light of the fact that God did deliver. He remembers his people and he delivers by his own initiative. Yes, and just like Brenea was saying, the Israelites later remembered this victory and could be encouraged by it. And also they were invited to live in light of it. Um, They're going to be invited into a covenant where they then are called to act in ways that are pleasing and glorifying to God. But this is only after he's accomplished all these things for them. And we're going to talk about this a lot more next week when we talk about Exodus 20. So I'm just going to leave that there. Um, but there is a response to this act of deliverance that, it, that is called for on the part of Israel. But God is the one who does the deliverance. Whew, all right. We just talked our way through a really bib big biblical event. This paradigm of salvation as it was enacted in the Old Testament any reactions to that story as we rehearsed it together? I know we've all read it before in some lights, but what, yeah, just how did you react to that? 
Um, well, first, I guess I would just say um, that it's incredible to see the lengths that God goes. And I think we've mentioned this in prior weeks too, reading different things about Abraham. Um, but here, it's just like to see God bring plague after plague after plague um, and not you know, yes, as a d- destruction, it brings destruction in the event of letting the people go, but also just really showing his people that, hey, you are my people and I am your God and I am I am here. I am powerful. I am standing with you. Um, so it's just incredible to me to see the lengths that God goes to really show his people um, that they are his and he is theirs. Yeah. And I think, just guy, what you're saying, like the fact that this is just like such a big deal. Um, like, you know, we know the story of like the Exodus and the 10 plagues, but y'all, they were in captivity for a long time, hundreds of years, right? I'm mm-hmm. um, suffering for hundreds of years. And so the fact that like they could cry out to God, like when we think, do our prayers matter, right? Does God hear us? Does he care? Um, and then God remember, like he hears, he knows, he remembers, and he moves um, in light of that, I feel like is really impactful. Um, but also the fact that like God, right. So we see this, like God's people, the Israelites who God just by his own hand chose, right. To use Abraham. Um, but that God had a plan of salvation for all people. Right. And this is the path through which he used. So it wasn't like he did this so that then the, only the Israelites could forever, live right and we're I know we're going to get into this as we start breaking down the parallel with Jesus but it just makes me excited to think like oh we see the suffering and so you know it's important for us not to read this and be like oh well God just didn't care about the Egyptians it's actually not the case right this was out of love for all people that God said hey this is the path that I'm taking I've chosen Abraham so that you all can be redeemed and to have a relationship with me so that's what it's got me thinking about too yeah and one of the verses we didn't read it says that God did the sign so that the Egyptians would know that he is God in just a really direct way. And I think there is that possibility that they can also acknowledge him as God, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you're saying, Brene, this is the deliverance of a specific people at a specific time in history from a bad historical situation. But that's not quite the complete salvation that the whole world needs, because we all have a huge problem and we all need deliverance from it. And so for the rest of our time today, we want to jump forward to the New Testament and see how God's act of salvation through Jesus Christ follows a similar paradigm to this deliverance of the people from um, Egypt. But this salvation will be more full and complete and rich Um, And you'll see that as we unpack it, you'll see sort of the broader worldwide life-changing impact in a different way with Jesus Christ. So we're going to do the same thing now. So now take your mind out of Exodus. And now we're going to jump to the New Testament about 1500 years later, approximately. (laughs) I just had to do that calculation, Uh, depending on when you date the Exodus. My brain just exploded. Anyway, (laughs) about 1,500 years later to the time of Jesus and how this paradigm is followed. So, Sky, kick us off again. Yeah, so to start us off in this, we're going to see how God's people are trapped in a situation where they are unable to save themselves. And I'm going to jump right into Ephesians chapter 2 to see this point here um, in Jesus' time. So, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So I read that because that just really shows us we were dead in the trespasses of sin. Like our situation without Christ is described as dead. Um, And when you're dead, you can't do anything to save yourself. Uh, You can't bring about your own salvation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I appreciate that. Um, It's saying like you, like actually me and you, right? Like before Mm -hmm. Christ out, every person listening to this, like without Christ, that is actually um, our situation. And God actually looks at our death, right? The fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And he remembers the promises that he has made to his people. Promises he made only out of his love and mercy, not because of anything that we can do. And he what? He initiates action to rescue his people. And this action is initiated through Jesus Christ. Um, and we we see that. Um, and, and, and just, uh, just to link it to... Um, like what this remembrance and how the Exodus is this kind of central event, which God's people look back to, we can look at when um, Mary is told that God has chosen her to mother Jesus. Um, And she recalls um, again, Exodus and God's promises to Abraham Um, and what's known as Mary's song in Luke um, one verses 54 to 55. She says he has helped his servant in Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Um, so Mary, when getting this news that like, oh, like we actually need salvation and God's going to do this through a Messiah and whoa, I'm going to be the mama. She's like, how do I know that this is like, this is God because this is what he's done before. Uh, he's re- she's remembering what he has done and how he, he initiates. Um, and she's just celebrating in Mary's song, right? In light of her being a part of that and accepting the call of that. So Jesus is that initiation. Um, Yeah. And he is the initiation and he is the individual that God is preparing to bring deliverance to his people. Jesus Christ is the one sent to deliver God's people out of their bondage to death. In a very cool way, we also remember that he is by his his background, he is a son of Abraham. And that's why when we read the first chapter of Matthew, it's immediate the book of Matthew, the first chapter is just a genealogy. And to us, if we just read that with no context, it might just seem completely boring. And why are we discussing this? But the point of that genealogy, I'll just read you verse one of chapter one. It says, the book of the de- genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So they're saying that Jesus is the son of Abraham, and he's the one who's going to ultimately fulfill this promise that through your offspring, through your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed because everybody is going to be blessed through Jesus Christ. And Jesus was uniquely suited to this role because he had a dual identity. Just like Moses had been born into slavery as a Hebrew, but was brought up in a palace as an Egyptian, Jesus was pre-existent with God in the throne room of heaven, as we discussed in John 1. But then he came down and he took on a human identity. And so he was fully God and fully man. And that equipped him to be exactly the Savior that the whole world needed. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and as Jesus is equipped to be that Savior, um, we see also in all the Gospels um, the signs and wonders um, that God performs to confirm that He is God, that He is the one ultimately delivering His people. Um, and yeah, in all the Gospels, there's so many different examples of uh, miracles that Jesus performs that just really show His divinity. Um, but one of the examples um, is the healing of the paralytic. Um, this is a sign that is given um, that really just confirms that this is God's work. Um, so I'll read from chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark, verses 10 through 12. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So you can read verses prior to that to get a little more context of like where the story um, starts. But those verses just really show like the power that God has um, to forgive sins, as it references there, um, but also to heal. And he says, get up and walk, um, rise. And the person does, which is just a clear sign of God's power, um, that he is the one who delivers his people. And it's clear to us to read today, and it would have been super obvious um, to all those present that day who witnessed this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, these signs and wonders, again, are showing just the complete spiritual authority that God has spiritual power over all wickedness. Um, and so before we were talking about how like in Egypt, um, he's de he defeated the spiritual powers and each of the plagues were related to one of the Egyptian gods showing that God had ultimate power. Um, but even more here, we see um, like through Jesus that God's defeating all spiritual wickedness through Jesus Christ. And so, right, um, similarly in uh, the Gospels, just like Sky was in, we see, you know, like the casting out of demons and such. And then in Hebrews, it's summarized really nicely. Um, it says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So again, it's just really clearly saying that God through Jesus completely um, just defeated all spiritual wickedness and is the ultimate spiritual authority and power. And then we, the next point in the salvation paradigm is that a sacrifice is made that protects God's people from God's judgment against evil. Because when we, ha we have God defeating all sin and all wickedness and all evil, what is, how are we not included in that? How is he going to pass over us as he passed over the houses of the Hebrews in Egypt? And so we remember that sign, but then in the New Testament, we're given a new sign of that Passover, and this is Jesus himself. And the cool thing is this happens in the context of Jesus eating a Passover meal. If you remember from the Exodus passage, it said, this day shall be a memorial for you, and you shall keep it as a feast throughout your generations. And so the Israelites did. For, for hundreds of years, they ate this Passover to remember God's provision and in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a narrative where Jesus, as a Jewish man with his disciples, takes the day to celebrate the Passover. 
And as part of the Passover, they have a feast, they have a meal, and they're remembering God's deliverance in Egypt. But then as Jesus celebrates the remembrance of the Passover, he institutes a new feast of remembrance. And this is what we call communion. And so I'm going to read you those words that he spoke over that Passover feast. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There is so much to go into here. We can't do a full theology of communion. But I just want to make this point that Jesus institutes a new feast where when we eat the bread and we drink the cup as part of communion, we are participating in his body and blood that have died as sacrifice for us. Just as that lamb was sacrificed to provide the blood on the doorway, Jesus was sacrificed. And so therefore God passes over us in judgment. So Jesus is our Passover. Amen. Amen. I know. It's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that complete like passing over, Jesus being our Passover. Um, in the Exodus, we saw, like you were saying, Anna, we saw the passing over um, from the of the angel of death. And then we saw the complete deliverance of the people out of their bondage. And that message of God's people being completely delivered from their bondage um, is even so much more profound and so richer here in Jesus, because this is a complete deliverance from sin, from death. Um, this is a permanent deliverance. Um, this is the final deliverance. And First uh, Corinthians 15, 54 through 56, uh, just has some beautiful words uh, really showing us this deliverance that we receive. This passage reads, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And wow, what a victory it is. Um, he has delivered us. Death no longer has a hold on us. Um, yeah, thanks be to God. Amen. And so this act of deliverance again, stands as an anchoring truth, right? This kind of linchpin event um, that us as God people, that we as God people can always look back to and remember his faithfulness and his love for us, that we were in um, a damning situation, that God by his own love, grace, and mercy initiated something um, and redeemed us through Jesus Christ, right? He set his plan in action. Um, and then he, like it, through faith in Jesus, that we are passed over, right? Like this is, this is that anchoring truth. Um, and we see that, and even in scripture, we can, we're going to look at Romans for a minute, that this is what God's people look back on. And this is what you and I, what we all look back on when feeling like, oh, how am I going to, like, how are things going to get better? Remembering like, oh, they already have in Jesus, right? Um, so Romans 8 verses 31 through 32 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so again, like here, Paul's just reminding us that in moments and times of desperation um, or when life is just feeling like so burdensome, um, that this is our anchoring truth, that God who was willing to redeem us to himself through his own son, um, of course, he's going to take us out of whatever experience we're in, just like we saw the psalmist remembering that earlier. So um, this really is the anchoring truth and the linchpin of our Christian faith. Mm. And just like we're called to remember, we're also called to walk in light of this salvation, in light of this truth. After all these things have been accomplished for us, God then calls us to live in a way that is glorifying and pleasing to Him. Not to earn that salvation, not to make it happen. It's already been accomplished, but just in response to that. And again, a lot of the New Testament talks about that. And I'll just quote one verse from the book of Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul writes, I, Paul, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And I just find that a really striking phrase, that this is an amazing story that God has done for us, and we can walk in a manner that's worthy of a response to that kind of love and that kind of mercy and that kind of grace that God has given to us and the amazing things that He has accomplished for us. Um, And so that is the sort of finishing out of the salvation paradigm. We remember and we respond to all that God has done. Any other reactions? I mean, we've been uh, reacting kind of as we go, but any other reactions, you guys, to this this paradigm, this story? Obviously, it's our central story. <laughs> the one and thought, we love it. <laughs> the one thought that went through my head um, as I was reading a passage in Brenea, um, it's just, wow, the gospel is beautiful. And it's just like, yes, that is the power of Christ. That is the power of God. Um, and yeah, just the gospel is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with you, Sky. And, you know, back in Genesis 1, we were talking about how, like, God is the great creator. You know, he's like the greatest of all things. He's the greatest of every single thing, right? The greatest artist, the greatest entrepreneur, like the greatest doctor, right? Um, And, like, obviously the greatest author, right? He is the author and finisher, but the greatest author, because, I mean, in what other way could there be such uh, foreshadowing and such parallel and such, you know, that it's like, oh, clearly, like God had a plan and we see it set in motion from the beginning. And so um, just that, that he really did have a plan for us um, and a way even for us to just connect the dots just a bit enough for us to be able to have faith. So. Yeah, it is a beautiful story as well as being a true story. And I think that God is amazing in that he can be both things. He can be both beautiful and true. Amen. And sometimes we have trouble uniting those things, but God can unite them. And he does in the the salvation story of Jesus Christ. So as we begin to close out here, we just want to encourage you guys, as you've been listening, we hope you feel along with us, just this response of marveling and glorying in the salvation that God has provided. And we definitely want to urge you to consider if you haven't yet believed and trusted in the salvation that God is offering, 
consider the things that we've been saying. And you could also read the context of these scriptures more and see the signs and wonders that God did through Jesus and the historical witness of the gospel accounts to his resurrection and to his ultimate defeat of death, because these are big truths. These are big claims. These are big statements. And we want to come to a place of certainty and surety in faith. And so if you're wrestling with those things, we just encourage you to keep on that journey. And if you've already accepted this salvation that Christ has prepared for you, We just want to encourage you to look back with thankfulness and to remember this great salvation. And if you're going through a hard time where you feel like, does God love me? Does he care about me? Is he being faithful to me? Remember what he has done for us in the past. And if he didn't spare his own son, but instead gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so we can take heart from this story of salvation that God loves us cares for us and he will provide for us thank you guys for listening it's been a privilege to share with you god bless